Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Gate for July 13th, 2021. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcast and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Joining alongside, as always, my co-host, Vern Case Lowe. And Case, we are now, as of the time recording, 18 days from the Kobe World Kenan Hall doubleheader. Biggest weekend in the Dragon System's history, basically. How are you feeling about Dragon Gate? Just as a heat check right now. Coming out of this Cork and Hall show in particular, and this Kyoto show, which we'll cover uh, ever so briefly on this show, is I, I there are probably Drangate hardcore fans that didn't realize there was a show in Kyoto this past weekend. And after watching it, I don't have a ton to say about said show in Kyoto, but I do have a lot to say about this Cork and Hall show. And unfortunately, coming out of that show, I am really down on the direction that things went. I will especially of the main event scene, be more critical of Drangate on this episode than I have in maybe a year and a half. I, I am. I, it was a a weekend where I spent time, you know, I watched the Cork and Hall show. It was on a Friday, so I was going to wait till Monday to type up my review. And there was just something about this show that just was very, very off-putting to me. And I still haven't really gotten over it. I really don't like the fallout from this Cork and Hall show. What about you, Mike? I think this might be the most divergent we have ever been in this era, Open the Voice Gate, because this might have been my favorite Cork and Hall show that they've had probably since COVID, definitely since COVID, and maybe a little bit before that. But I do have some questions about the main event scene and how they've set up now, 731 and 8-1, of course, Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival, the 21st version of it, and then the 
uh, the speed star final. Very perplexing kind of setup there that I've kind of backdoored my way into being right about Kobe World, but not in the way that I really wanted to be right after it was all said and done. I, I guess we should probably just take the big topic up top case. And after the a no ropes lumberjack match, Yamato made a challenge that was accepted and he will be facing whomever is the winner of the Kobe World Pro Wrestling Festival match for the Dreamgate title between Shun Skywalker and the 2021 King of Gate. I always I, I said probably I think back in March that I would suspect that with like that or really when they did the two when they announced the two nights, it's like, oh yeah, Yamato's gonna headline one of those nights. Well, he's not headlining. But he is getting a Dreamgate shot here and a really kind of uh, interesting, quizzical, I mean, now uh, kind of quizzical kind of decision. I mean, Kobe, I, I mean, Speedstar Final was functionally sold out basically for the last few weeks. It's now officially sold out. But now they're having the company Ace get his first title shot in a few years up there. And it's one of those things that like, I kind of like the idea of Yamato coming back and being like, all right, I got my groove back. I'm done with all this Hulk and Kai uh, just bullshit. And now it's time for me to be the almighty again. He dropped the uh, aren't I so cool quote at the end of it. And he's getting a title shot in a way that I mean, against uh, Shun Skywalker and against KZ and a time that feels like it's KZ's year in a way. And Shun Skywalker running into Yamato if he wins. I mean, that's one of those things that I know we were talking about how likely we thought KZ was winning the title for a couple of weeks now. Now we have a huge variable to talk about, KS. I, I guess to be clear, I, I enjoyed this Cork and Hall show quite a bit, but the fallout, especially this Dreamgate scene, now there's some other post-match stuff that I wasn't crazy about, but I hate what they have done with the Open the Dreamgate Championship this week, and I think every situation is a lose-lose situation and I'm I'm irate that Yamato has been put into this spot. I just don't understand it. I don't think this weekend needed it. It's puzzling from a booking perspective. It's puzzling from a business perspective. I I I just I'm lo- I'm lost on this, Mike. I I don't understand why on August first Yamato needs to be in an open the Dreamgate Championship match. I do not understand it. And this isn't something where I think either of us are coming by are coming at this at the idea of, oh, Yamato's being shoved down our throats. No, he's been kept away from the title scene pretty much since like the Binke defense that Binke had. It's just that you don't need it to happen here. Like like Yamato is like the ace up the sleeve. Like literally, like, oh, we needed to pop a big house. Yamato gets his first title shot in a few years. Like that was something that they could have thrown down here and it was something that when they announced the two shows i thought he would headline the first show because it's like all right masada yoshino's retiring that show is going to sell out that show basically sold out without yamato being a the title match to begin with you could have used it at, on kobe world but then they very clearly have him making this this huge either kz push like kz getting his finally for, for everyone who's been such a strong kz fan over the years finally getting put in the biggest show of the year or Shun Skywalker firmly planting the flag and making a claim to be the ace of the next era. And now you have Yamato kind of coming in here to do it. And it's just one of those things that, at least from like my my perspective, like I'm not against Yamato getting a title shot. It's just here that does not make any sense to me. 
for historical purposes, the last two Yamato Dreamgate matches, like Mike mentioned, he had the August 24th, 2019 challenge against Ben K. So two years ago, he challenged Ben K for the Dreamgate belt and lost. The time before that was September 18th, 2017, when he lost the Dreamgate belt to Masaki Mochizuki. So in four years, he'll have three Dreamgate title matches, which for Yamato was very fair. I have no issue with the idea of him getting a title match, quite honestly, I would have liked to have seen the every other year Dangerous Gate Yamato challenge continue. I, I don't, I, I just assumed up until this past week that Dangerous Gate 2021 would be headlined by either Yamato versus Shun or by Yamato versus KZ. But instead, we put ourselves into a situation where you have four possible outcomes leaving world. And I want to go through them with you, Mike. And I guess I just want to know to you yeah. which sounds more appealing. We have scenario one, which is on night one. Shun Skywalker retains the belt. And then scenario, or I guess, and then the next night, Shun versus Yamato, where Yamato wins the belt. Now, Mike, would you say this is the most likely scenario? Shun wins night one, Yamato wins night two. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I, I'm going to be doing a huge article. Uh, for the web forces of wrestling at the end of the month so where like i talked about the past forward but i haven't like put like expectancy or odds on it i think that it is not the most unlikely scenario i i, I think it probably is third on my list on this i i have one that i think is the most likely scenario okay we well I'll, I'll continue to run through them i i guess just to break this one down a little bit, the idea of Shun winning on night one and then Yamato winning on night two, to me, it's the most realistic uh, because Shun's going to retain and then he's going to meet his natural challenger in Yamato and Yamato is going to win. The issue with this, and this will be a reoccurring theme as we go along, is that Yamato, if he wins this match, will be the first ever five-time Open the Dreamgate champion. Right now, the only four-time champions are Masato Yoshino, Shingo Takagi, and Yamato. And I got news for you. Those two guys, for a multitude of reasons, are not <laughs> going to become five-time Open the Dreamgate champions. Now, Yamato is at some point in his career. It's likely going to be this weekend. And if he does this against Shun, then what? We're going to have confetti come down for Yamato, and then we're going to have to clean it up just so we can wheel out Masato Yoshino one last time. It's going to get lost right. in the shuffle. I talked about last week how, oddly enough, Yoshino versus Yamato at Kobe World 2010 really feels like the Chris Jericho Triple H match to the Rock versus Hulk Hogan, which was the BB Hulk and Shingo Takagi match at World 2010. This is almost the inverse of that scenario where this the semi-main event on this show is going to mean nothing because by the end of the main event, we're going to be crying, Mike. I mean, we're going to have tears oh, yeah. streaming down our faces at Masato Yoshino retiring. So who cares if Yamato wins the Open the Dreamgate belt? And on top of that, and this is one of my big issues with this. If this was any other promotion, if this was All Japan, if this was NOAA, if this was New Japan, if this was AEW, if this was ROH, I would not care. But with the youth movement, the rapid youth acceleration that we've seen in Dragon Gate, I have a bit of an issue with five years after Yamato exited Kobe World beating Shingo for the Dreamgate title. Five years later, we're going to get that exact same visual and that just seems counterproductive to the current landscape of Dragon Gate. Do you have any pushback on that? It's something that it just completely like Yamato's gonna get his run. Yamato should get a run. But like honestly, like while he's in good health and 
and, and before he gets much older, it just like, yeah, it kills him through the youth movement. And it's just going to completely go by the wayside. It'll become like a trivia question. Like the next time that Joe Gagne has a five-star match game and has this on, it'd be like, what is the semi-main event of Speedstar Final? And that's what it's going to be. Like entirely, you're, you're, you're dead on about that. Scenario two, night one, Shun Skywalker retains the belt over KZ. And then night two, Shun Skywalker defeats Yamato, which I think would be a very interesting situation where Shun, establish, Shun establishes himself as this, you know, really top dog elite tier Dreamgate champion. And you have the added caveat we've talked about since Shun Skywalker returned from Mexico, how his biz- biggest weakness is talking on the microphone. And you now get a scenario where he can pin two of the top guys in the company and then not cut a show closing promo, which seems a reason not to do it in itself, that this guy is not the guy to beat Casey and Yamato on the same weekend because he can't close the show with a promo. Well, here's my pushback on that. There was issues in the past and kind of the story of the Dragon System of getting the young champion to the place where they feel absolutely comfortable with them going forward. Shingo Takagi had to happen in 2008. Uh, Binke, his run was, was something on the outside. We're like, okay, this is going to be like an air change. It wasn't. However, y- you want to solidify Shin Skywalker as the guy in a post Masato Yoshino uh, Dragon Gate. That's what you do. Like straight up, you have him beat the King of Gate, which by the way, King of Gate has not lost at Kobe World in a long time. And then you have him the next night take out the ace. And then there's not like, it, it, unless like suddenly Shingo Takagi comes back with the IWGP World Heavyweight Title and lays down. Like there's not much more you could do to further put a stamp on someone saying that that he's his guy. So the promo thing, you're absolutely right on. But I can see how this would be a very defining weekend in Shin Skywalker's career if he pulls off the two wins. And it's something that honestly, given like the the, the bad luck he's had in the title reign. One can say that that's actually a very good, that that would be a good payback for him in a way. My concern there is Shun won this belt in November. So we're we're quickly approaching nine or 10 months with him as the Dreamgate champion. And you look at the roster and you have to wonder, okay, if he leaves Kobe world with this belt, which you're saying there's a chance he does, who is next in line? And I think realistically he has about two defenses left Maybe three. I'll give him Susumu because I don't think we've seen Shun versus Susumu yet. But no, because didn't he he beat uh, Susumu in a singles match at a show last year, didn't he? Yeah, he beat him uh, in the lead up. Okay, so Susumu is out of the picture. So realistically, I think you have Shun versus Doi, which Doi can't win. They can't have Doi in Ben K's reign out of nowhere, then have him in Shun's reign out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And you have SP Kento. And I've said for a while now, if there is... Oshun Skywalker versus SB Kento Dreamgate match. I think SB Kento is winning the Open the Dreamgate Championship. Now, I don't necessarily think that match is going to happen, but if you look at the roster, I, I don't see any other matches for him. So you're looking at a situation where he's going to leave World, he's going to dominate Yamato, he's going to dominate KZ, and then he's losing the belt, what, a month or two later? Uh, there's one more match, I think. Was it at Menorah? Menorah, yeah. I, I, I think that there's some direction with Menorah at this point that, like... Kind of seems like a uh, like I know that you're of the belief that Dangerous Gate is you could pencil Yamato probably in there. I think that's a good place to test out Menorah, to be honest. We'll get to him. I have something to say on Coach Menorah. (laughs) We'll we'll get to him, Mike. 
uh, scenario three, KZ defeats Shun Skywalker, becomes Open the Dreamgate champion on the first night, and then beats Yamato on the second night. Now, I think under normal circumstances, this would be an incredible way to establish KZ as a frontline top guy player. Obviously, you still have some Western fans that have reservations about him possibly being a Dreamgate champion. I don't know what the feeling is like in Japan. I know for me, I think he can lead the company. I think he can be the top guy. But the issue is, and this is a little similar to Yamato beating Shun, if that were to happen, you now have history taking place that is ultimately going to be forgotten, not because the match won't be great, not because it won't register in the minds of some fans, but it simply won't live up to the expectation, or rather to the uh, just the event, the spectacle that is going to be Masato Yoshino's retirement. And that is the history that KZ is 0-4 all time against Yamato in singles matches. You obviously have the Tri-Vanguard history. You have everything they've been through with KZ trying to get to the top of the card. KZ beating Yamato, that is his number one opponent. That is his public enemy number one. When he does it, it is going to be a big deal, and it cannot happen. It cannot happen at Speed Star Final because no one is going to remember it if it does. Yeah, it'll just become the one, you know, the one in four. Um, it's something where I think that that's a, I think that that's probably my most likely guess at this point because I, I think that that's my odds on favor, at least as of July 13th. I think that it's something that will give him the big moment he'll get he won't be a one key champion and then whenever they move on they say oh yeah no he's a oh he's a former open the dream gate champion he could lose the belt like to whomever and then it is something where like you you don't have that uh that mark of being a zero defense champion which is a big thing if if like that's your only title reign in dragon gate and you don't make it and you don't get a key on that belt that demeans you a lot so I think that that's that that's a nice way to do it, but but as you're saying, and as you're absolutely right, like this this the speed star finals about Masato Yoshino, like the fact that this matches, the fact that a title match is happening is kind of demeaning to him in a way. The scenario that would make me pull my hair out if it happened, the final scenario we've got here, where KZ would beat Shun Skywalker and then lose to Yamato, and I just I just have too much faith in Dragon Gate for them to do this, but I'm also so taken aback by Yamato being thrusted into this scene that I can't rule it out. But to me, this is absolutely your worst case scenario. KZ winning on night one, Yamato winning on night two. Right. This is the zero key, right? Like he becomes the ultimate belt, belt pillow. Like if anyone asks like, oh yeah, who had like a useless tower range just get another tower range? Oh yeah, it's building up KZ, having him finally look like he's going to win the big one. He wins the big one and then he loses to the guy that is his like, I would almost say career-long rival. It's either that or Masaki Mochizuki, it feels like. But it, it is going to be something that, if it happens, I mean, KZ's toast in a lot of people's minds, in my mind, at least. And so you have those four scenarios, and I don't even think those highlight the biggest issue of all that I have with this, which is where the fuck is Kota Minora? Why is Yamato jumping the line? to get this title match. He lost to Kota Minora in the King of Gate semifinals. And as of this recording, Minora has no match at world. I, that is the antithesis of what I love about Dragon Gate booking. This is irresponsible. This is uh, idiotic in some sense. I don't understand how Yamato is just jumping the line 
bypassing the fact that Minora beat him clean and demanding that he gets a Dreamgate shot on the second night. All of these scenarios, all of the issues I have with them would be negated if they did Minora versus Yamato on night one and Skywalker versus KZ on night one, and then the winners of those matches in night two, and you could do a consolation prize match if you want to. I don't care. You could just copy the New Japan format. What what am what am I missing, Mike? I know Yamato beat Skywalker, but who gives a shit? Minora beat Yamato. I I am I am blown away by this booking decision. Well, I can give you what I assume is the rationale. He's the ace. <laughs> He's the ace. It's been that long, and it's something that they feel like it's time. I I mean, I'm hoping in hindsight that we look back at this year in, and we're like, yeah, the booking there was puzzling. But it was steps along the way to get to a point that is satisfying. But it's but they've got a hole to dig themselves out of because yes, Yamato is the ace, but I, but I mean he lost the semifinals of Kingate to someone who has been on an absolute tear. Like he's the one getting the wins in the final countdown matches he's in with Masato Yoshino. He is the one that is just like when we talk about this Cork and Hall show, like uh, I, I know Jay on commentary like made a comment like, Oh, it's almost like it's passing a torch in a way it very clearly feels like that there is something that is a big plan with Kota Minora, but it does not make sense why there's this big plan about Kota Minora and he's not figured into the Dreamgate scene immediately because he has, I, I mean, if you look at how like the Bravegate title match was set up on Kyoto, that for 8-1 now it's Kakatora versus the winner of Okuda and Ginki Horiguchi, his claim was that he beat the number one contender. Like, in this case, shouldn't like the next show, Kota Minora say, "Hey, up! Uh, I beat you before this. So since he's technically the number two contender and I beat him, shouldn't I get this title ma- match now?" Like it just seems like that there's something going on here. I'm hoping that in hindsight it will all play out, but given the cards that they're dealt right now, it's very perplexing and it's something that just feels unnecessary. If the end goal is to get Yamato to win the Dreamgate belt and then Minora to come out and challenge him. Let's say they have that match at Dangerous Gate. If this was, and I will use New Japan specifically as the example, not as a dig at New Japan, but because history dictates, and especially the Gato era, that this is how they book their main events. I would not have an issue with that. If Yamato jumped the line only so Minora could circle back and they get their singles match, whatever, that's fine. But this is, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm off base. You can correct me if I'm not. This feels so off-brand of Drangate. This feels almost like in the same way that especially during the Shima era and especially during Shima's Dreamgate runs, those big Dreamgate matches would would have a little bit of distance from the normal Drangate house style. It was almost like they were trying to appease either the Japanese press or the naysayers about this promotion. They were trying to fit into a bubble that they didn't normally fit into. And this booking, to me... Again, if it was All Japan, great. If it was Noah, who cares? If it was New Japan, this would be the way things normally go. But I just find Yamato jumping the line to be so shocking in this promotion. It just doesn't make sense to me. And the way he kind of did it in that post-match promo, like he, it, it was shades out of, you know, late Mad Blanky into like recently face, I'm sorry, uh, his the end of his berserk run into like his recent like face turn and forming tri vanguard where the promo came off and i noticed that a lot of people were thinking it's somewhat heelish in a way and 
that just has a whole lot of other questions there that it's just i don't know if it's playing the ace card here but it certainly felt like they played the ace card here and that's not how this promotion operates and it's very off-putting and and, and, I wanna, and also, just uh, sorry to cut you off there, but the, I, I, the, the other point about playing the ace card that I think is important to bring up is that they're putting him on a show that, like you mentioned, was going to sell out and was almost sold out before this match was ever announced. It's the same reason, you know, to me, New Japan held off on Okada Naito matches for so long. They didn't need to do them. They would have booked them for shows that were going to sell out in advance anyways why are you burning this match that you don't either Shun versus Yamato or KZ versus Yamato? Why, why now? Why are you putting it in this building? It doesn't make any sense to me. And on the other side of it, like you covered what I was about to say there, but well, my, my other thought, other side of it is we're now at a point looking at speed star final where a lot of people can be, canceled out of whatever's going to be the retirement match now and it's kind of making it me assume now that they're just going to run Masato Yoshino versus Naruki Doi up top because uh I'm assuming that anyone who's in a championship match either uh, on 731 is not going to be booked they're going to announce this year and I don't know maybe it's me and maybe that they'll do like this big eight-man tag that has you know Doi, Yoshi, Yamato, and others in it at, on night one on at Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival. But at this point, they've kind of like made a situation that it's like, all right, it has to be, uh, it has to be Doi versus Yoshino. And I know that's something that that was a stipulation at the cage match last year at Danger Skate that if that that if uh, Yoshino lost the belt he, or he lost the match, he would immediately retire and he would be granted a retirement match against Naruki Doi. So maybe like that, that they're saying like, hey, that was going to be that there, that's going to be it here. I guess this is my thing that, like, I just, like, I, I look at, like, the Tozawa farewell match, and I know, I, I know this is coming for me, so, of course, I'm going to bring up this one. It just kind of seemed like it was a really nice moment to have all of the big six in the ring as, the as like, the farewell to him, whereas I don't think we're going to be getting that with Masato Ushino, because, I mean, Brother Yashi's on the show. You think that Brother Yashi, given Italian connection, would have as much of a reason to be in a match in a retirement match of Masato Yoshino Ultimo I mean Ultimo is probably gonna be back in three weeks you would think that Ultimo would have enough of a reason to be a part of it and and it's just something that like it's a situation that I'm making and it's something that I hope now on uh, at, at Kobe Pro Wrestling Festival they have that nice big match and then you could do the Naruki Doi match the next night as the official retirement match but maybe it's just me I was hoping for a bigger like a big like eight-man tag like maybe I'm just like thinking about like how Jushin Thunder Liger when he retired, how they kind of set that up there, and I was kind of hoping for something similar here, and that it does not seem like that's going to happen. And for me, that's kind of personally unsatisfying. Until the matches are announced, my gut is that we're going to get two eight man tags, and and at this point, you're right. I don't exactly know who fits into those tags. My thought was always on night one he would wrestle some of the younger guys, and then on night two you would get an Ultimo Doi pairing and you know, whoever else, some of, some of the guys from his generation in that match. But yeah, it's uh, it's strange to me that coming out of Corkin, we didn't really get like the official Masato Yoshino matches. That seemed like a real missed opportunity. Yeah, like, and, and, and I mean, I know that like that it, the, the show is all that you don't have to like 
somehow like do the impossible and turn back the clock four years to bring in Shima now. Like you're not going to do that, but it just seems like to me that it it's going to have to be Doyoshi as the retirement match. And the more I'm thinking about, the more I'm kind of confirming that. I, I'm still in the camp. I would be shocked if that happens. I don't I don't see a singles match in the works. I think it's going to be two multi-mans, probably two eight-mans. And I think you're going to get, you know, Doi and Yoshino, kind of like we saw in this Kyoto show, actually. Probably, you know, Doi, Yoshino, and two young guys against a group of, you know, probably RED guys on the first night. And then Doi and Yoshino and probably Ultimo and another guy against, you know, Saito Horiguchi. Susumu, whoever, whoever his contemporaries are that are available on that second night, we'll see yeah. them there. So that's that's still where I go. I don't I, I've never suspected singles match. I know that's something people have really pushed for. I just I, I don't see that happening, but I, I hope I'm proven wrong because that would be exciting if that happened. No, no, I, I, I think that. I, I mean, I'm just going to like spitball here. Doi Yoshi Ultima Sachi versus. Uh, uh Sapa, Susumu, and Mochizuki. That'd be great. If that's if that's Yoshino's final match, I think that's a win. Yeah, and that's what I was, and that's what I'm hoping. I just don't I, I was not someone that thought it was gonna be uh, a Doyoshi singles match up top. I thought it'd be given the, the state of Yoshino, even though he even though as we talk about these shows, Yoshino looked really good, all things considered. But I just it just kind of feels like it's laying that way, Case. And I don't know if it, and this is a me thing. I don't know if I'm personally satisfied because I like the idea of the big trios or eight men tags as a retirement. Match. Yeah. I mean, when the liar stuff was happening, I, I kind of felt like I was on a different planet for most of the time because I was pretty, I guess not maybe. Yeah. I, I guess satisfied because the liger expect the liger retirement met my expectations. It was kind of what I thought it was going to be. And other people were booking liger on this, you know, dream match tour. And I was like, well, uh, Liger, Liger hasn't even liked wrestling for about a decade now. Like this man is forced to be a best of the super juniors every year. I don't think he's going to bust his ass every single time he has the opportunity. Yoshino's just at a spot right. where, you know, he looked really good in Corkin, And then in Kyoto, I thought he was pretty hidden. I, I didn't think he did a ton in that match. Now, granted, he didn't have to. We did a lot in Cork and he did a lot in Cork. And I was very <laughs> impressed by what he did there. But I don't. Even for a final night, I just don't think he can work a singles match. Like, I literally do not think he can do that right. anymore. I think he has to be able to take breathers. I think he has to be hidden to some extent. And I'm much more interested in seeing Doi Yoshi double teams for the final time and perhaps some Yoshino Ultimo stuff and Yoshino Sashihoko Boy stuff, if that is the route they go. I'm much more interested in seeing those double teams than Yoshino uh, trying to feign his way through one last epic. I. I, you know, look, I think it would be great if it happened, but I'm I'm almost a little more bored by that alternate reality than I am the alternate reality that that I think is a little bit more realistic of just an eight man tag with a bunch of fun tribute spots because they have the blueprint mm-hmm. with the Ultimo match from World 2019. They just need to plug in the Yoshino spots and the Yoshino emotion and it'll be a huge win. Right. No, totally. I, I'm with you on that. Um, Any other big picture thoughts before we get into Corkin? Uh, no, I, I will have to talk about the triangle gate scene in just a second, but I want to talk about this no ropes <laughs> match first. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right, so Cork and Hall, this was on the 9th. It will be up on the network until the 16th. It was a super no vacancy sellout, and 714, I don't think any other company has put more than 700 in Corkin since the COVID and the state of emergency. So, I mean, this is like the second or third time that Dragon Gate's done this. I mean, you could one can make the argument that going into this uh, doubleheader that they will be putting the two biggest... Uh, attended shows outside of the new japan tokyo dome shows since they're covid so j- j- just a just a thought to kind of put in mind i i think uh, as you alluded to we should talk about the no ropes match first this was a no rope lumberjack match yamato versus kai finishing off pretty much like the storyline of kai in a lot of ways i know in your review you're like this felt like a perfect write-off for him but it was yamato defeating kai in 20 minutes and 50 seconds with a ragnarok and an absolute, like, just huge emotion Dragon Gate epic. I have a lot of thoughts on this in my written review over at VoicesWrestling.com. I have not talked to you about this show. I would like to hear your thoughts on this before I go. I think that we, uh, I know we haven't really done the MVP of the week. I think we need to give the MVP of the week to Mr. Nakagawa. Because, man, did that guy just take an absolute shellacking between this and other stuff that's happened in the promotion around it uh it's something that i felt like that they used the lumberjacks appropriately they started off the match with the lumberjacks really just kind of rolling everyone in there was the really kind of cute uh a figure four spot where the high inside pushed them back in because yamato had the advantage in the figure four however when he when they rolled all the way over to the red side red as soon as he fell they fell out of the ring they started laying the feet into uh yamato i thought that this was very well worked i felt like that this wasn't necessarily like the shades of yamato that we've been kind of been getting back into like the callbacks like 2010 20, 2009 yamato i felt like that kai was like an excellent foil i thought the finishing stretch was just brutal i mean three galleras and then the ragnarok i've never seen uh, yamato so definitively put some someone out there I thought that the uh, the use of plunder was really well done, and then uh, Kakatora, who does not do very many dies, doing a tope con hello onto all of Red to make sure that that there's going to be no more interference going to the finish. I think that that was a very appropriate finishing stretch. I went four and a quarter on it. I thought that this this was very satisfying as the feud finish, and like in your written review, in a lot of ways, this would have felt like a perfect uh, send off for Kai if that was going to be it for Kai. Kai was so good in this match that I never want to see him again. Because <laughs> if this was if this was his swan song, if this was his farewell, universally, five years, ten years, fifteen years from now, we would have gone, damn, remember how much fun Kai was in Dragon Gate? And that certainly hasn't been the narrative on this show in general. Uh, the entire time he's been in the promotion, I thought he was excellent i thought he was so good in this match 
the culmination of really everything we've seen over the past 10 months. Because this is a few that really almost lasted a year. September of last year, Kai turned on Yamato, and ever since then, they've been attached at the hip. Now I'd like to see them go about six months without touching each other. I know it's going to be hard in multi-man matches and just the way this promotion is booked, but I really think they got everything they could have out of this feud. And as I've talked about for weeks now, you know, the the booking of this feud has been satisfying. Everything has been logical. I've been able to follow all of it. But there hasn't been that one high point that I've been able to celebrate. And now, with this, you know, concluding this feud, I, you have to celebrate Yamato versus Kai as a win. I think both guys came out of this feud better than they came into it. Yeah, I mean, this gave Kai life and a promotion where he stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, like the whole entire storyline going back to how Kai broke BB Hulk's neck and then was invited into Tri Vanguard. The fact that he was invited into Tri Vanguard meant that when BB Hulk returned, he turned on both of them. Then he kind of just played or played along with Yamato as his friend and eventually just got so frustrated with him and just defected. And then the 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 next 18 months make or not 18 months, the next year uh, Hulk and Kai get making Yamato's life a living hell and leading to this point like that. That's an awesome storyline. Like that is something that I feel like Dragon Gate hit all of the big notes there. So it, if if that is not it for Kai, and I don't think that's it for Kai, it will be really weird to see where, where it's going next with him because he's kind of adrift. A, a lot like a lot of members of RED right now, kind of adrift. I think he's earned a full-time position in this promotion. I mean, this oh, is his home. You know, he was on, he was on the Kyoto show. He's not going anywhere. Uh, I, I certainly hadn't heard anything that said maybe he was leaving. Maybe this was his farewell. I think he's here to stay, and I think he's earned a position in this promotion for as long as he wants it. Just the poetic nature of this being it for him, I think, would have worked really well. Mike, I want to ask you something. Sure. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll make this a new segment in case this ever comes up again. Is this lore or is this legitimate? Is this a figment of my imagination? Is this something that I'm reading too far into? Or is this something that we need to pay attention to going forward? And that is in this match after an awesome, I would almost call it like an old school style unit brawl. This feels like it was something that we would have seen uh, between the Italian connection and Agon Isu or or Italian connection and Shin M2K at some point where everyone from high end and RED ran in. They did their spots. They got out. Yamato got the upper hand. He hits Kai with the Galarea. Nakagawa counts one. Nakagawa counts two. And then Espy Kento hits Nakagawa in the back with a chair. And I found it interesting that it was not Eita, the leader of R.E.D., who was at ringside in this match. It was not Eita who hit Nakagawa with the chair. It was Espy Kento. Is that lore or is that legitimate? I think that's legitimate because you look at how big a storyline it's been that Eita has taken the backseat and has let everyone kind of done it. He's He's cool you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes. I think that's legitimate. I don't think that's lore. I just think if this match happens, even, you know, I mean, a year ago, SB Kento was still Kenta Kabune in tights. But if you if you take this match and you put it into the context of 2020, 2019, 2018 Dragon Gate, yeah. I don't see a scenario in which Ata is not the guy hitting the referee with the chair. He would be that guy. He would be the one getting the heat there. And for SB Kento to do it, it just... 
uh, to me, it felt notable. It, so, it felt like something that we can put a little sticky note by. We can dog ear that page. And in a few chapters, I think we're going to want to revisit this moment. Yeah, no. And, and if, it, if it wasn't Ata Hulk, you know, like the, 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 like there were more obvious decisions there, you know. So, yeah, no, no, that no, no, this isn't lore that this is uh, something to come back to there. But I thought that like talking about like the context of no ropes matches, I felt like that I was going to want to get your opinion on this. Is it my favorite no ropes match I've ever seen? No, but I felt like that, like I thought that the lumberjack like added a lot to it. And I felt like that this was like, it's nice that Yamato brought it back. I mean, he, he was taking it back to 2010 in a lot of ways. And, you know, I felt like this was very appropriate. And I felt like this held up the honor, not honor, held up the legacy of the No Ropes match, in my opinion. I can't necessarily compare it to No Ropes matches of the past because I did not go back and rewatch the ones that were uploaded to Drangate Network this past week. And before that, the last No Ropes match that I would have watched would have been Yamato versus Hulk from the Drangate USA show that we covered uh, about a year ago at this point. But I will say, I loved this match. I really, really got into the finishing stretch. I thought it was perfect for the stipulation. I thought they played to the stipulation perfectly. It felt like a fight in a wrestling ring that just happened to not have ropes rather than some overly gimmicky exhibition where they made too much of the stipulation. I thought they played it perfectly. You gave it a uh, four and a quarter stars. I give it four and a quarter stars. Highly recommend it if you have not seen it. And if you've watched, you know, Drangate over the past 11 months, this is something that pertains to you. This is a really satisfying finish to a really long feud. A home run, a home run from both men, and especially Kai. I thought Kai was fucking awesome in this match. Absolutely. Um, Working our way back, we had the six-man tag team match, the Speed Star Final Countdown in Tokyo. It was Doi, Yoshi, and Satyoko Boy. So you had both uh, Speed Muscle and Amigo Tag on one side, just the way I like it, against the Natural Vibes top team, KZ, Susumu, Yokosuka, and Ginky Horikuchi, one of the most tenured and most decorated Triangle Gate teams of all time. And it was KZ getting the win in 17 minutes, 56 seconds, with the running elbow satch smash on Satyoko Boy. I I didn't think I would say this case. I went four stars on this match. Like, I did not think that, that Masato Yoshino had another notebook match left in him. But boy, in my opinion, he did. I cannot knock you for that. I went three and three quarters on this. And... I almost went four because it's a pretty pedestrian match for the first half, but that finishing stretch is really, you know, it's just one of those deals. And I'll talk about this a little bit more with the Kyoto show, but the finishing stretch is really just a blip on the radar of what this roster is capable of. But if that finishing stretch happens anywhere else in the world, you know, it's gift to death and people are losing their mind for it, but it's just another right. one of those like, Oh yeah, no, this is, this is what these guys do. Oh, that guy uh, with the singlet straps down, he couldn't walk four months ago and he's retiring in a few weeks and he's doing this, this, and this. Like, it's unbelievable to think that this is the standard that is just expected from these six men. And, and it's something that, like, we didn't really do big picture cork and thoughts. A lot of brutal finishing stretches on this show, like the top three matches had finished, or the, the top four matches had finishes that was like, oh, snap, that's definitive. And... Sachi Oko boy. Let's I want to talk a little bit about Sachi here. 
being able to do the M9 and doing the Orion and then getting getting gasps out of the cork and crowd in this day and age. And then KZ just taking his head off with that running elbow smash. It just was really just delightful stuff. Sachi, in a lot of ways, was just like a little highlight there. Like, yeah, the first half, there was a lot of shenanigans when that when Natural Vibes kept on grabbing the uh, fin on his mask and he started doing like a flopping fish dance there. But the rest of it, I mean, uh, Yoshino, it was something that I noticed of like Yoshino. Like there was like one spot where Naruki Doi stepped in for the Lariat sacrifice. And afterwards he looked down at Masato Yoshino. Masato Yoshino gave like a thumbs up saying like, I'm all right, we're good here. And just was like one of those things, like when I think about like this final stretch of matches for Masato Yoshino, and we talked earlier about what we were hoping for with a final retirement match from Masato Yoshino. This is the kind of stuff I want to see in it. Like this was like perfect there. And it just was like, Masato Yoshino is just such a genius. Like, 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 yes, there's like legitimate worry, like each time with that, but like the idea of him just going like, I'm good. It's just such a nice little thing. And, you know, just all in all, this was just so satisfying. I don't know what we were talking about, and I don't know when it was. I know it was at some point in the second half of 2020, because I remember talking about it in my old Chicago apartment before I moved. But I was trying to explain to people that if you're a newer Dragon Gate fan, like let's just say you hopped on board at World 2019 because there was English commentary and you've been hooked ever since. It is hard to explain for a very brief time just how big of a deal Shingo versus Sachi Hoko Boy was. And it's unfortunate that none of that footage is on the Dragon Gate Network right now. That's the stuff I really, really wish because the Toriumon Library at this point is a really strong collection of stuff. You get, you know, I think we're up to three full years of Toriumon footage. I I need them to start working backwards from 2017. Let's get some 2016, 2015, 2014 on the network because it's just hard to understand if you haven't seen it or if you've only heard about it. The Shingo versus Sachihoko Boy stuff was so heated, was so intense, and was so entertaining. And it was all this magic that really felt, you know, uh, befitting of Cork and Hall. And for Sachihoko Boy to turn back the clock against KZ and bust out those big moves. Oh, Mike Spears, let me tell you, I was loving it. I, I was in heaven in this match. There was so much stuff to like here. Not only that, but like you mentioned, Doi taking a bullet for Yoshino. That is my favorite spot in wrestling. And if Fuego Del Sol joins the Nightmare family in AEW, I can't wait on an AEW Dark Elevation episode for him to do that spot and save Dustin Rhodes from a Nick Camaretto lariat. And I hope to God that happens because that spot sounds so entertaining <laughs> now that I put it in the open. I, I mean, he's got to protect his dad. He has to. It would be a damn shame if he didn't. Yeah, no, absolutely. This was just like... Man, like I was just this. This is why I said like this Cork and Hall show. Like I watched it a couple days after the fact. I I, I was in Florida. I had a terrible trip back. I was been feeling kind of you know out of it since then. But when I put on this Cork and show, like match wise, I was just like, all right, this is the, the this is that Dragon Gate feeling. You know, like like to quote Aaron Taub, uh, let's go, let's go. Like this was exactly what the doctor asked for it and. Sachi Hoko Boy turning it back to the days of Amiko Tag versus Kosuke Chome. I mean, what's better than that? This was just a lot of fun. This is uh, another highly recommended match.
And then we move our way backwards. We had a eight-man tag. This was Masquerade versus R.E.D. The combinations this time were Shin Skywalker, Jason Lee, Dragon Daya, and La Estrella versus Eita, S.B. Kento, Diamante, and Daya Inferno. Daya Inferno got the win with a belt-aided Inferno top rope uh, lung blower in 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, I, I know that you... I think we're both on the same page here. I went three and a half stars on this. This was not like the best one there, but I thought that it was just a standard strong RED versus Masquerade match. And I thought that, you know, ever since they've been making sure to uh, have a straight after Australia had his rough like two weeks, having him with Diamante, you could kind of like see like you can't tell because of the mask and everything like this, but you could see the like the physical confidence come off with him. And, you know, this was just was a really fun of you know third from the top match i mean not the best red versus masquerade match would not be making the mixtape in my opinion if we were to make one not making it the good helmet comp but you know it's up there you know this was a very satisfying three and a half star match yeah that's exactly that's exactly it very satisfying three and a half star match i love that in all of this commotion with Ata doing his thing and with the die inferno versus dragon dia deal everything happening at the end of it, SB Kento is causing so much commotion. He, to me, was the focus of this match. He was the star once again. He was running traffic. He was the guy that stood out from the pack. And I just think that's really impressive for him to be so young, for him to still be so experienced 18 months into his career. He's in there with Ato, former Open the Dreamgate champion. And, you know, not to mention uh, current Open the Dreamgate champion, Shun Skywalker. And I'm just watching SB Kento just control this match just have complete control and confidence whenever and whatever he's doing and that's something that i i noticed in kyoto as well it's just god this guy mike he's so good he's like am i am i feel like maybe sometimes the hype has died down a little bit because he hasn't jumped off the page as much this year but i actually think the fact that he's been able to be plugged into the system and still stand out makes him even more impressive like we're watching him do things now that an ace will have to do that he'll have to be the glue guy in these chaotic eight-man tags and in this case and i'm not saying that Ata is incapable of it i'm not saying that shun's incapable of it but in this match it wasn't Ata and it wasn't shun to me it was sb kento yeah and there's still places that he's fleshing out his uh his repertoire there, there's still things that you know he's still a work in progress in which i mean you should be expected as you said 18 months into his career but Boy, the confidence this kid has. And I feel bad saying kid here, but I mean, he is two-thirds my age. so I He's feel like younger I... than me. It's bullshit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Welcome to my life, Case. Welcome to my life. Uh, I felt that way. I felt that way when Zion got drafted, where I started, I was like, oh, Zion's a year younger than me, and he just signed a shoe contract for how much money? No, cool. That's, no, good. Good for you, Zion. That's cool. I'm happy for you. I'm not, I'm not pissed at all. Like, it's, <laughs> no, it's cool. It's really cool that you did that. We live in a fair universe. We live in a fair universe with those moments. But yeah, no, it it rocked up post-match if we want to move on to the post-match. Because I feel like the, oh, this I, is I the case. I don't want Lowe's you, but gotta, we will. I, this is the case Lowe's going to cook episode open the voice gate. Uh, so po- post-match, Inferno's going for the mask rip. Yashi makes the save. And as he comes out, he makes a challenge. And the old Aganisu theme plays. And it is Toro Awashi and a returning Suji Kondo. 
I don't know what it is in this company with people healing super fast. Like, like this is much more, this is a lot more quickly than I expected to see him back. And they came back. They are making a challenge for Speed Star Final, which is another thing. I mean, these are three guys, maybe not as much a Washi, but definitely Kondo and Yashi. I just say Yashi. I uh, Owashi is not is the kind of outlier here, but these are two guys that you know. If I'm fantasy booking that final match for Yoshino, these are two guys that I feel like would find their way in one way or another. And now they are having a Triangle Gate match because they challenged and and everyone was like, "Yeah, okay." I mean, I'll say this: GM Yagi was probably having the time of his life right now making all these matches. Well. Look, I I thought he would actually I thought he would end up in Yoshino's retirement match, but I told the listeners about a month ago, you better believe Toro Washi is getting on the Speed Star final show. That man is getting a Kobe World payout, and I turned out to be correct. Now, this is not what I imagined him doing. This is actually far more offensive than Case, what I had in mind. This is like the most bitter victory lap show we've had because I called the Yamato Kobe World match and you called a Washi. Yeah, and I thought he would just either do some like dumb Sachi Hoko machine stuff in the opener, or he would be in Yoshino's final match, which I would have accepted. I wouldn't have been thrilled about it, but I would get it because Kondo and, and Yashi have been integral to the career of Masada Yoshino, but Yoshino and Awashi, those guys are just boys. Like, Awashi pops up on all these reunion shows for a reason. He's well-liked by the locker room and specifically by Masada Yoshino. I get it. This is another one of those where it's like, okay, what's what's the best case scenario here? You either have Masquerade beat R.E.D., and then I guess they just beat Agon Isu 2? But to me, the, the, the first Triangle Gate match, I, I think R.E.D. are the heavy favorites there. That is Dia, Leon Australia, the champions against SB Kento, Diamante, and Dia Inferno. I would say it's like 80-20 R.E.D. is winning that match. But then, okay, now you get put in a position where you're doing heel versus heel. The next night, you're doing SB Kento, Diamante, and Dia Inferno against Kondo, Awashi, and Yashi, which sounds like a, a dangerously high ceiling and deadly type of low floor kind of match. Like, I don't, I have no feel on what that match would look like. All I know is that I'm really not crazy about it. I mean, I will give you one thing that I, I'll give you a scenario that at least I'll be satisfied because we'll be getting to somewhere with. Are you ready for it? Go for it. No matter what happens at Kobe World Pro, Pro Wrestling Festival, boy, I butchered that. Uh, Aganisu wins at Speedstar Final, and then we get the build to the mass match. So I don't think Aganisu is winning. Uh, I think they're there to take a loss. I asked somebody within Drangate, I asked <laughs> ask specifically, is Brother Yashi sticking around? That's what I was really focused on. And the answer I got was that, because <laughs> I was like, well, Kondo's a roster member now, and if Awashi's right. there, like, who cares? But I do need to know just mentally. Am it's I emotionally to prepare yourself. Yeah, am I going to be watching and reviewing Brother Yashi for the rest of 2021? And the answer I got was it's very unlikely that he sticks around because he's such a busy guy between the indies that he works and the business that he runs. I think they're there to take a loss. And I actually think for as awkward as the match sounds on paper, SB Kento submitting Brother Yashi and solidifying R.E.D. as this deadly heel unit better than the best heel unit as Agarisu would describe themselves... I actually think there's a ton of value in that. 
it's just not i i don't know i don't i don't want to watch aganisu it's as simple as that no 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 i mean i i respect brother yashi's hustle i mean i like that kobe american pro wrestling t-shirt that he had on during this but yeah no you're absolutely right about this and i i, I like that I, I like the response unlikely but that's a perfect word to describe brother yashi if you ask me yeah i i i don't want to watch aganisu man like if Kondo's <laughs> coming back, awesome. But I don't, I don't Especially like especially heel Kondo. That's the thing. Like I don't like watching this unit in their prime in 2004. I don't want to watch them in 2021, even yeah. if it leads to SB Kento getting put over huge, which I think will happen. But yeah, I don't, I don't like this. This, this, in when I thought initially because I wasn't watching this show live, I was just reading tweets, and initially I thought they had made this a three way match. Just mm-hmm. on 731 with Masquerade, already and Aganisu. And Mike, I was fucking pissed. Oh my God. I was <laughs> so angry that that's what they were going to do. I'm actually more okay with the two matches, one on 731, one on 81. But oh my God, when I thought it was a three way for like 20 minutes, oh, oh, good thing nobody at work was talking to me because I was pissed about Aganisu in the year 2021. I mean, much like people in 2004 and 2005. You know, it fits. <laughs> it fits. How about we talk about something that the, that I'm willing to wager did not piss you off? Actually, I know it didn't piss you off because I read the review and delighted me. How about we, how about we have a, a nice like solve over us right now? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice to discuss Masaki Mochizuki versus Coach Minora with the frame with the with the mindset rather that this led to Minora elevating his Dreamgate stature but unfortunately i don't think that's what happened i think instead we just got a really good match in a vacuum yeah uh this match rocked i went four flat on it um just like masaki mochizuki versus koda minora koda minora won in 12 minutes 15 seconds with the gong boy like just went after it and then you know I, I have written down in my notes uh, the final note for I have this match. Minora got real mad and gonged uh, Mochi for the win, and that's like that's like the story of this match. Like these guys had like a condensed twelve minute Dreamgate match, and they just murdered the hell out of each other for twelve minutes. And you know there just was a lot of just awesome stuff in this match. And you know you had that nice moment afterwards where Mochizuki basically said like, "Hey." You got me, kid. And Minora, given how just like impetuous he was in the past towards him, took his hand and, you know, they had like a nice little moment there and completely divorced of what the hell's going on with Kota Minora. I felt like that this was entirely satisfying. This was a satisfying Corkin for me. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really good show. I had a lot of fun watching this show. I just had to rack my brain for an entire weekend to figure out what the hell happened afterwards. But yeah, you mentioned the finish, which I really liked, where Mochizuki hit a middle kick uh, to the chest of Minora, and he just kind of shrugged it off and then hit him with his with uh, hit, hit Mochizuki with his finish for the win. It was really abrupt and kind of jarring, and I really liked the way it came across. It just it was a cool finish, a unique finish, very on brand of Mochizuki. And as I talked about in my my written review, you know, these guys have had three singles matches now. The first one was two minutes. The second one was eight minutes. I think this one was 12. And every time you've been able to see literal growth, you know, physical and emotional growth in Coach Minora. And whereas, you know, the first match, he walks up to Mochizuki and he slaps him and then he gets his ass kicked. And then the second time, 
he has a, a more thought out game plan, but it's still frantic and he's still trying to catch Mochizuki off guard. He needs Mochizuki to be off for him to secure the win. And again, I don't know if this is lore, if this is legitimate, but to me, Minoru was working at this very deliberate pace, this very calm pace. He knew exactly what he was doing and he knew what he had to do to beat Mochizuki. And he did just that. I mean, he just got real mad after he got kicked and hit the gong. Like, it just rocked, man. Uh, it, it, it's something like th- these two guys have such like good chemistry. Like, the way that they that they worked into the soccer kick in the opening was just excellent stuff. And they played around the outside. And, you know, like, 12 minutes just completely went at each other. Like my, like my phrase, like a bunch of killers. They were a bunch of killers. Yeah, this was uh, one of those matches that I you need to go see if you haven't. Four stars for me, very, very entertaining, and yet another great Coach Minora match in 2021. Absolutely. Then we had a rare 10-man tag. Not very many 10-man tags in Dragon Gate. It does not have a lot of eight-man tags, 10-man tags. You'll get a couple a year. Uh, this was the high-end team of Dragon Gate, Keisuke Akuda, Kagatora, and Benkei teaming with Brother Yashi of Dove Pro and Kobe American Pro Wrestling against... Don Fuji, Ryo Saito, Yasushi Kanda, Kanichiro Rai, and Gamma. It was uh, Yashi getting the win on Kanda in 9 minutes and 40 seconds with a nice Jamaica. Now, how tuned in to you, and this is such a dangerous question to ask another human being, how tuned in are you to what is going on with Kanichiro Rai in the heat-up promotion? Well... Luckily, Joe Lanza made sure I was well aware that he is the double champion there, and he threw the titles in the in the trash. Yeah, I don't know if Guts, or I guess it's Heat, if not Guts. Guts, for a while, was making tape. I actually, is Guts World a thing anymore? Do they run shows? Uh, it, we are approaching the one-hour mark, so it is time for me to pull up Cage Match. Yeah, please let, do. Let, let me just say, as you pull up Cage Match, you know, I don't know if Heat Up airs anywhere i don't know if that's still like one of those nico nico things that that most promotions have abandoned at this point but i would like to watch arakin wrestle and heat up if that's a thing that's happening somewhere because i oh my god i love the idea of this you know dragon gate second generation student dumping this sleazy fucking heat up title of the trash hey brother i'm gonna go get my paychecks and cork and hall ever heard of it for this promotion called dragon gate we're kind of a big deal fuck heat up oh my god i love that okay so guts world closed in 2018 damn gone too soon what was their last card what what sent guts world out what was the final match there well, it was Guts World the final, Bukutsu Shien. It was in Shinjuku face. Uh, announced attendance 660 or 600, which, you know, that is, uh, I'll believe it if I count every person twice in that building, probably. Uh, I'm just going to, it's a, a pretty long card. Uh, the, the final match was Guts Ishishima versus Mask Mystery. Further down the card, Hiro Saito and Tatsumi Fujinami beat Michiko Kageyama and Mr. Ganosuke. Uh, Guts World Tag Team Championship match in a title switch. Hatoshite Good of Kenichiro Rai and Shoda defeat, defeat uh, Fuminori Abe and Toru. Masao Orihara defeat Tetsuhiro Kuruda. Uh, uh, Kizio Matsumoto, Matsumoto and, and Kanishibo Kamen defeat Buffalo and Yuji Kito. Chango Noshi Sano Papillion Akimi, the only person on this page surprisingly without a cage match, and Shinobu defeat Drake, Morimatsu, Kazuhiko Matsuzaki, 
uh, Kazuhiro Tamura and Ryan Upen and the opener. Uh, I'm just going to say canceled and and Keita Maruda defeat uh, Daisuke Kanahiro and Tetsuya Izuichi and the canceled person. You could probably take a guess who it is, guys. Well, it's Joji Otani, so I, I have no... I, you know, the thing about yes. Joji Otani that sucks, uh, obviously what he did was awful. It also sucked because he was like the one Japanese junior on the indie scene that I would go out of my way to watch. So obviously what he did was terrible. We condemn him for that. On Despicable. a personal level, also fucking sucks because I really, really thought he was talented. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jay Sage is just a dream. Jay Sage is just a dream. So... Yeah, I, I guess he, I mean, Kenichiro Rai just makes me so happy. Like, as one of the world's biggest Kenichiro Rai fans, it makes me very happy the fact that he's still out there. And Jay on commentary making the comment that one of the title belts he came out with was the Tenryu Project uh, International Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship. And he made the, the very appropriate comment of, this is kind of awkward because uh, that's part of the Twin Gate now. And that is true. He has lost the Heat Up Universal Championship in the meantime since the ship. As for this 10-man tag, look, I hope Brother Yashi enjoyed himself. Uh, I, I thought the finish was cool with Kagatora and Dragon Kid hitting a dueling 619 into the, the Brother Yashi German suplex, but uh, it's a match that existed. They kept it moving and they kept it light, which is all that one would hope here. Uh, the big highlight is... Month after month, uh, the fact that Ho Ho Loon is just so impressed with Arakan, you know, and as he should be, as he should be, you know, just, just fantastic stuff with it. Well, that's, uh, that's a good time to note that Ho Ho Loon did make it to the broadcast table in the Cork and Hall balcony by the time the opening match began. And he oh, had like five boy, minutes that, hey, you never know with this guy. You never know. You never know where he's gonna go. Okay, <laughs> this man, this man could have been anywhere in those five minutes, and thank God he ended up next to Jay and he was able to call this opener. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, he could have went and got an ice cream cone. You know, he could have gotten some of those famed cork and uh, chicken tenders. You know, he could have like. There's a lot of things that could have happened there, but yeah, I, I thought this was fun. Like it kept it moving. Everyone kind of did their things. I mean, nine minutes for each of these guys. You know, I mean, you got like a flourish of everyone in the match there. I was like three and a quarter just because I was like, all right, this is a Brother Yashi match of 2021 I enjoyed. Let's see if the future ones I still enjoy. Yeah, what about the opener of this? Uh, BB Hulk, Kaido Ishida, and Kazuma Sakamoto, they defeated the Natural Vibes trio, uh, Funky, Jackie, Kamei, King, Shimizu, and UT. What do you think about this? I love young vibes. I love them. The fact that, like, if you think about it, like, Kamei and Shimizu basically have really started teaming with them at like the same time. And there's such chemistry with all these guys is just awesome here. Uh, uh, Kazma does this pounce that funky Jackie Kamei probably took like a bump that Monty Brown would have been proud of. Uh, like it, it, it was awesome there. And I felt like this was like one of the best openers I had in recent memories. I was three and three quarters on it. It's a three and a half. Uh, it is absolutely a health hazard to book Sakamoto and Funky Jackie Kamei in the same ring. Keep on doing it, Drangate. It's super entertaining. And I thought the stars here were BB Hulk and UT, the two Sapporo natives down the stretch. I thought they absolutely killed it. Is, wait, is UT a Sapporo guy? I was going to say, I didn't want to be mean and correct you. Uh, he's from Nagoya. Who's, who shares the homecoming shows with Hulk? KZ. 
Son of He's a from... bitch. All right, they're yeah. the same unit, same guy. You know what I mean. They got the letters in their name. Uh, <laughs> they had a long period tag team being like uh, Hokkaido natives, guys. North Drive. I don't know if that was a long running tag team. They, they did like what, like four matches with each other? I think they had a lot more than four matches as a tag team. Like there was a did... while that people thought that there was going to be a North Tribe Twin Gate run. Yeah, because they wrestled uh, CK1. And it was it was awesome. Uh, that was that was a twin gate match. That was champion in Osaka twenty seventeen, and that was they. I think they did like Casey and Maria maybe against Shimon Dragon Kid, and then they did Hulk and Casey against Shimon Dragon Kid, and that match was awesome. That was a bleak weekend for the promotion. Champion Gate twenty seventeen, not my favorite era of Dragon Gate. Real real tough one for me personally, but I remember loving that twin gate match. Because uh, this podcast for a long time was just factually wrong about how great CK1 was. But, okay, look, I, I got it wrong. My apologies. But I still thought Hulk and UT were awesome together in this match. Oh, they were. They were. They, it, it, it was just like an absolute blast. Uh, King Shimizu rules. Like, we are the podcast of record on Dragon Gate. So other podcasts on this network who might have other opinions on Natural Vibes. Uh, no, uh, Natural Vibes rule. And King Shimizu absolutely rocks in this role. And the fans love it. The fans love when Shimizu puts on the glasses during Party Anthem and then suddenly starts dancing. They like when he does Das Wunderkind. It is just a fantastic act. And, you know, he'll just turn it back on. And did you notice that Jay kind of made a comment about that on commentary? Yes, I did. Yes. Uh, uh, okay. Jay and Hoho Loon. I, I, I joke about Hoho, but once again, I thought Jay and Hoho were very good together. Jay. Sterling. Uh, Jay has gotten so comfortable in this role and especially, you know, something like the main event, that no ropes match that it it doesn't require, you know, a book to be written on, on the history of this match, but it is mm -hmm. something unique to Dragon Gate. And I thought he got those points over incredibly well. I just think he sounds like a professional in the booth right now. Whereas, you know, there were times when he first started his career as a broadcaster where he sounded like a guy that knew a lot. And he was almost like inviting, you know, a Wikipedia page to the uh, the the broadcast table. Now he sounds like a broadcaster. And I thought throughout the show, he and Ho-Ho uh, were their delightful mix of funny and informative. And that was from opening match to main event. So well done by those two. Yeah, just sterling performance from both of them. Uh, match zero, uh, Takashi Yoshida and Problem Dragon, Monday Ryu, defeat Punch Tomonaga and Ho-Ho alone. It was Tomonaga eating the fall, so... So, so yet again, Ho-Loon on the outside, not seeing what happened. Uh, as Yoshida hit a jackhammer on Pencil Naga in four minutes, uh, it was a match zero. Yep. Yes, it was, Mike. And that does it for the Cork and Hall show, as I mentioned at the top. It'll be up until the 16th. Uh, very quick watch. There were, they did not do an intermission at all. They, they just, like... Filled time for three minutes as they did the quick like ropes out like the fastest I've ever seen anyone take off the ropes. Yeah, they took the ropes down so fast it almost threw me off. Like I wasn't right. I wasn't mentally prepared to watch the main event because I thought we were gonna get like another fifteen minutes and then Dragonstorm was gonna hit and then we would get into the thing. But no, they just yanked the ropes off and main event time it was. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was not the only show that Dragon Gate has had since we last talked. They returned to Kyoto KBS Hall for a case. I had to look this up because I changed notebooks as I filled up the other one. This was their first Kyoto show in four months because of COVID and other reasons. Attendance 319 up from 204 to see Masato Yoshino's farewell in Kyoto. It's it's up on the network until the 18th. Uh, 
we both kind of this was like a rare show we both kind of talked about beforehand it, it picked up towards the end but the first half of the show was a first half of a dragon gate show that just kind of was having matches look i've got three points to make why don't you run down the results and then I'll, I'll make those points individually all right so the results opener natural vibes of kz king shimizu and funky jackie kamei defeat red of Ata, bb hulk and hyo KZ got the win with the uh, running elbow smash in Hyo in 12 minutes and 32 seconds. Singles match, UT versus Takashi Yoshida. UT won with the passion hold in 9 minutes and 42 seconds. And then we had tag team match, unaffiliated team, Rio Saito and Yosuke San Maria versus the Open the Twin Gate champion team and a bunch of killers, Kaido Ishida and Kazuma Sakamoto. Ishida got the win for his team with the ankle hold on Maria. Eight-man tag, Masquerade versus R.E.D. Combinations this time, Shun, Jason, Daya, Estrella, Kai, SBK, Diamante, Daya, Inferno. SBK got the submission on Jason Lee, and they've been going back and forth on Twitter ever since. Semi-main event, another tag team match. High end of Keisuke Akuda and Kakatora defeat the uh, Natural Vibes team of Susumi Akosuka and Ginki Horiguchi. Kakatora got the win on Horiguchi in 14 minutes with the Gura Makakari, and that's what set up the Brave Gate match. I mean, it made sense. Number two contender beats number one contender. Like, makes sense. He he gets a title shot off of that. And then Speedstar final countdown in Kyoto, eight-man tag team match. Masato Yoshino, Naruki Doi, Don Fuji, and Kota Minora versus the high-end plus Kanda team of Yamato, Dragon Kid, and Binkei, and Azushi Kanda. 21 minutes and 16 seconds, the longest match of the weekend. Code Minora got the win with the gong on Kanda. Okay, real quick, here are my three points. Match number four, the Masquerade versus RED match. I love what they're doing with SB Kento and Jason Lee. They've been running an angle basically by themselves on Twitter. I don't think it's realistic, but I would love when August rolls around to see, you know, match three on a Cork and Hall show, Jason Lee versus SB Kento in a singles match. I think that would be awesome. There was a spot in this match where SB Kento went to do the hat throw where, you know, he throws his hat at his opponent. The opponent gets distracted. He does his move. He went to do that and he messed up the spot. He dropped his hat and Jason Lee just clocked him in the face. And that looked excellent. Well done by both guys. This is one of those matches. I thought it was a little bit better than the Cork and Hall match. And it is, you know, it's not a match I'm ever going to think about again. And I was kind of thinking about that of like, oh, this was this was like a really good eight man tag in compared to what R.E.D. and Masquerade have done all year. Eh, who cares? I'm moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Just I one of the fun things about these Masquerade versus R.E.D. matches is that there's different things I've noticed case that we both kind of picked up on loved. I like the fact that Diane and Inferno are adding more and more in the interactions with each other. They look good think, right now. They they look dialed in. And th- those yeah. are two guys that, you know, Inferno has never really been able to find a groove given that he's only been around when Dragon Daya is there. And, and Dragon Daya, for as much as I love him, uh, can be streaky at times, we'll say. They have found their groove going into their big match at Kobe World. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, that's why, you know, I'm... I don't want it to happen, but I mean, that would clear the deck for the mass versus mass match. And I think now, whereas when Daya Inferno started off, I was so down on the character. Now I'm, I think like this feud has gone to a point. Yeah, it's been starting to stop because of Daya's injuries, but now I feel like that they're at a really good place. Yeah, enjoyed that. Uh, as for the Bravegate scene, match number five, Okuda and Kagatora versus Yokosuka and Horiguchi. 
at the beginning of the year, Mike and I both had a conversation on here about how we wouldn't miss Kagatora if he was gone. He has really turned that around. He has been a delightful addition to high end. And I love the way they got, you know, into this position of Kagatora pinning Horiguchi, saying he's going to get the winner now of Akuna versus Horiguchi. And I will hold off on a point I was going to make. We'll save that for the Kobe World Preview. So uh, that's my point there. Anything to add on the Brave Gate scene? I think that it kind of proved us right about Kakatora. When Kakatora has something to do and he cares about it and something to sink his teeth into, Kakatora is excellent. And we saw that case in points since he's joined tight end, you know? And like the little promo he did where he, where him and Okuda was like, yeah, we're teammates there. And Okuda called him Kagesama, cracked me up. Well, you mentioned it earlier, but I, and I talked about it in my review, but Kagatora's dive onto RED at the end of the no rope match. What a tremendous visual. That was such an awesome spot. And, and I mean, in the uh, nap, in the uh, Masquerade versus RED match, when they did a triple house show at the same time, and you saw the amount of air that... The, the nice thing about having Diamante and Kai, I, I should have said this then, in a match with Shun is that Shun can do some flying a little bit now. And, like, he did, like, a... He did it to Harris, and he did, like, a... Uh, just a sling over the top rope dive that it looked like that for like a brief moment. I saw a photo of this. That he looked like he was like 15 feet in the air. My final note, Speedstar final countdown on Kyoto. I probably need to give this match a rewatch. This show had been so dry up to this point that I it admittedly did a bad job. Couldn't really lock myself in and focus on a 21 minute main event. This is probably a four star yeah. match, but I can't say for sure. Three and three quarters for me. Like, that's what right I gave it there. to be safe. I, I didn't feel comfortable enough putting it in the notebook, but on rewatch, I might bump it up to four. I mean, they gave the people what they wanted in this match case. We got a lot of Don Fuji and Yamato. Oh, it was like, excellent. I mean, it was it was really, really good. If somehow Yamato's coming out of the doubleheader as champion, give us give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. One last ride with Don Fuji up top. Come on. Like that match is just it, it puts smiles on the faces. I mean, that that's what that's what some wrestling promotions do. They put smiles on faces. Dragon Gate, you could put a smile on my face if we get a Don Fuji versus Yamato Dreamgate match if that happens, if Yamato wins. Dragon Gate. Gate of Destiny is not about the matches. It's about the moments. And you need to <laughs> tell your stories and put smiles on faces by having Don Fuji wrestle Yamato for the Open the Dreamgate Championship in one of the biggest buildings that you run. You gotta do it. But also, like, just like Don Fuji is just living his best life. Recently turned fifty-one. A lot of July birthdays in my life. But uh, w- they were doing the arm ringer stomp spot, and Yam- and Yamato was just so distracting of Don Fuji that Don Fuji lost his place and kind of did a weak one and it just cracked me up there. Yeah, good mix. It's been you know, especially these later stage Speed Star final matches, really good mix of comedy and intensity. Minora once again looked great here. That, like you said, you had the Yamato versus Fuji stuff. There was a lot to like in this match. Yoshino and Ben. There was a Yoshino and Ben exchange that looked straight out of the uh, title match that they had. Yeah, which or I the title matches I, they had. I, I just I couldn't believe that Ben got the thumbs up to do something with Masato Yoshido. If I was agenting this match, it's like, okay, well, we're three weeks away from World. Uh, ben Ben probably doesn't need a sequence with Masato Yoshino here, does he? But they went for it, and it worked out. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, the the, the one thing that, like, probably moved it away from a four-star match for me, actually, was there was a moment where Masato Yoshino does a Sil Naciente, and the Kyoto crowd 
was almost reverberating like an excitement seeing him win with his finish once more. And then we had someone come in and break up the pen and the crowd deflated. Like if he would have won that match at the Sol Naciente, four star match from. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's very fair. And then we need to talk about the post match for a second case because oh yeah. Uh, it's time for Masato Yoshino to give something away. And who is it? King Shimizu. And what does he want? He wants a pose. He doesn't want to move. He wants a pose. He wants a pose where, where Masato Yoshino does his, his like cross arms out and then brings his hands in. That's all he wanted. And he got it. And Yoshino was kind of flummoxed by it. I would be too, but I also, you know, look, it's, I, it's, it's King Shimizu's world. We're just living in it, Mike. <laughs> And what a world it is. Also, he did reveal, like, th- this isn't lore here, Kays. Uh Now we officially know the secondary reason that uh, Masato Yoshino is retiring. Much like the remainder of the roster who's had to put up with him for over 20 years, he's just sick and tired of dealing with Dragon Kid. I get it. You know, Dragon Kid, between his gymnastics abilities and his incredible muscles and his affinity and, and caring affection for animals. I hate the guy too. Can't stand him. I, I mean, that's not why he's tired of him. <laughs> that's not case. That's not. That's why I'm tired of him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish I had the body control to do a, to be able to go up on a turnbuckle and to completely just go. I don't even know what it's called, but like whenever he does, like I think it looks like he's like hanging like a flag. That just gets me angry. This dude's almost 50 and he's doing that. It's it's absurd. So Kyoto, uh, I would say watch the final match. Move on with your life after that. Anything else you would recommend on this show? Uh, not watch UT versus Takashi Yoshida. No, I, I I would skip that one. That's coming from a pretty big UT podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It yeah. It, there was a moment in this match. I was like, what are we doing here? I really, I was, I was almost fully on on board with Yoshida, and then this match happened, and now I remembered why I only trust. Takashi Yoshida as far as I can throw him and I'm not a strong person so it's not that far we've got 10 minutes Mike let's talk about Bandito for just a second I think this is the week to do it yeah so this weekend Bandito became the ROH world champion he becomes the third ever dual ROH and PWG champion Kevin Steen and uh, Adam Cole are the only ones who else have done it Bandito is interesting because he has kind of a we were talking about this and how about you just pose the question that you posed to me yeah this is something that is only going to come up on this podcast but i do think it's worthy of a quick discussion and i would like to hear people's thoughts at open voice get on twitter when it comes to the legacy of the dragon system and we talk about whether it's matt seidel or Pac or ricochet or the young bucks guys that we can credit that said you know they were at this point in their career and then they went to Drangate, and from there, they upped their game immediately. I do feel like the Dragon system kind of deserves some credit for Bandito's career, and he's not a guy that I don't think would initially come to mind. But if you look at his cage match, this is maybe something where, you know, if Cubs is listening, he can correct us a little bit. But Bandito, according to Cage Match, debuted in 2013. And if you look at the first five years of his career, It's, you know, a handful of crash bookings, a handful of DTU bookings. He pops up in CMLL for two matches in 2016. He is a non-entity until 2018 when he shows up in Dragon Gate. And specifically, 
uh, his debut match, or I'm sorry, his third match, January 16th, 2018, that Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz versus Bandito and Flamita match. That was a big deal. That was at a point where Western interest in Drangate was really starting to fade. And that is the match that got Bandito into PWG. That is the match that likely got him into AAW. That is the match that got, uh, I'm sorry, that got Bandito where he is right now. And Bandito, someone who only worked in Drangate in 2018, he only worked 72 matches for the promotion throughout that year. But if he doesn't have that Winston Xavier match, I don't think any of it happens. His career drastically changes as a result of him working in Dragon Gate. And if you look at him from, again, you know, that January tour at the start of the year through the end of the year when he leaves at that great four-way tag match uh, at Final Gate, he is a much better wrestler than what he started as in 2018. Yeah, and it's interesting because I'm a little, I would wager I'm probably just a touch more uh, versed in Lucha than you are. And I didn't know who Bandita was in 2018. Like, I knew that, oh, yeah, Flamita's bringing a friend. He brought he used to bring Jurassic Boy, and that was fun, so I was excited to see who it was. And then, since then, just completely changed his career. So, it's something that it's... that There's a group of Gaijin that came through that did not stay long, but, like, had, like, a run there, and then were destined to bigger things. Like, I mentioned before, Kevin Steen did a Dragon Gate tour. A lot yes, of I was gonna, I was going to say that Kevin Steen, uh, ROH and PWG champion, also Dragon alum. So two out of the three points the Dragon system there. Uh, muscular Outlaws member Kevin Steen. I should have said it like that. That would have been funnier. But uh, I, I think it, uh, I I think Bandito's run in Dragon is very similar to the Bucks, where they right. weren't around for long. They aren't necessarily etched in the history of Dragon but it did ultimately drastically change their careers in a positive manner. Yeah, and like the Bucks, he did not always make tape. Like there were a lot of like those those tours where he would have not been on the show. You know, just like kind of how like Jimmy, when Jimmy was around, didn't make all didn't make tape a whole lot there. So I think like the Bucks in a way is kind of the comp here. I don't consider him a full Dragon System person. In the same way I don't consider the Bucks a full Dragon System person. They're kind of their own thing. I mean, for those that don't know, uh Bandito was a uh, Ultimo Guerrero student who couldn't get booked in CMLL, he ended up, to my understanding, doing Liga Elite, which was yet another one of the many attempts that we've seen, and we've seen a lot since then, at a third big Japanese, uh, Japanese, sorry, third big Mexican promotion that kind of failed, and he kind of just like was a little bit adrift until Flamita brought his friend in, and since then everything changed. Yeah, to me, I am marking it up as a victory for the dragon system he's not really a yoshino guy he's not really a shima guy there's no one that we can directly attach him to with the exception of the brand and i think this brand ultimately paved the way for the success that he's had which is an undeniable universal critical success that has been awesome to see but i really don't think any of it happens without Drangate. and specifically you know that that flamita and bandito versus des and wince match um it happened for the time amazing for, uh, for the time amazing and it just it happened at the beginning of 2018 so <laughs> by the time we got to the end of that year like it felt like that match happened in a different universe it was mm-hmm. such an important match that became irrelevant so quickly in the context of dragon right. gate 
And it's it's crazy to think about, whereas if that match happens a year earlier or a year later, I think we get a lot more staying power of that match. I think people remember it much more fondly. But five months later, it was like, oh, yeah, this uh, Dragon Gate, as we know, it has changed. This is irrelevant. Everything that happened in January, February, March, April, forget about it. It's a new company now. Oh, by the way, Flamita and Bandito are going to be here for Kobe World and Flamita's challenging for the Brave Gate belt. Like, it just all happened so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's something that... I wonder now that I I think that the platform was huge for him, but then everything afterwards is him becoming like this megastar. I wonder how much like 10 years from now, is this going to be like how if it wasn't for the bucks, like writing about it in their book, like, or like the fact that Shima and OWE were a part of AEW at one point, would we even remember? Well, would I know we would remember case like, of course, because we're two crazy people, but would the remainder of wrestling fans and especially like wrestling fans within like this overall like sphere, would they remember as well? Cause I wonder like if that, if that's going to be the case, would they remember that bandito was in dragon gate? Right. Oh, I don't think that's something. I don't think the casual ROH viewer, they, if, okay, let me phrase it like this. If somebody knows who bandito is and somebody knows who dragon gate is, I still think the majority of that group of people don't know that Bandito wrestled in Dragon Gate, but I also think you could say the same thing for the Young Bucks, unless you've read right. their book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I guess that was the point I was making. You just summed it up a lot better. Um, but yeah, no, that's awesome. Congrats to Bandito. Congrats to Roosh for just being Roosh and immediately <laughs> posting the match. For just, for just fucking winning at life. <laughs> Roosh... <laughs> God, I love Roosh so much. Like, that's why I've been openly calling for the one quick, just a very quick aside, the one quick way you fix Andrade and AEW, uh, you call Joe F and Cough and you bring in LFI. You bring in the Munoz brothers. That's it. Roosh comes in. Everything's good. Yeah, that is, uh, I, I, I did not have time to watch that match. I would have done a quick review of it, but I will, I will get to Bandito versus Roosh. I hope that match was good, and, and congrats to Bandito. I think it's awesome he's now Ring of Honor World Champion. Absolutely. Well, we're heading, we're getting close to an hour and 30. Uh, you said we had 10 minutes there. We still have a, co- a couple of minutes left. Anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, I'm sick, and I would like to stop talking now. And I'm very tired because I was involved, or I was a... Subject to a bomb threat at Fort Lauderdale Airport on Saturday. And you were the one that called in the threat? Case, no, 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 no. If there's anyone in the in the uh, in the government listening, to this, no, I did not do that. No, no, no. I just was at the airport at the same time and completely ruined everyone's day. But you it were was... packing a knife, right? No, 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 no. I was not. I, I, I was wearing a tracksuit and it was very, and I was ready to come home. Knife and guy bits gonna come back to bite you, Mike Spears. Be careful. I mean, a lot of my bits come back to bite me, kid. <laughs> By the federal government. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> All right. So you can follow us at Open Voice Gate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. And if I'm not in trouble and, and arrested because of things that were said in the last 60 seconds, you can follow me at Fujiheya. That's going to do it for Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next time. Take care. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.